Here we go again. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. But James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. F1 is back and so are we. I'm Tom. I'm Angus. Hello, I'm Tristan. And uh, Liv isn't here today, but she remains an uh, ever important part of our F1 in review lineup. Uh, but she will be back with us hopefully next week and going to the podcast uh, in the future as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And welcome to F1 in Review, whether you're listening on your preferred podcast provider, whether you've been here for, let's say, a few months, a few years, or this is your first ever time tuning in on your provider or River Radio. Welcome. This is the podcast and indeed the episode where we discuss what's to come, perhaps, regarding this season of F1. And while there's new opportunities, new chances, particularly with the new regulations in mind for this season, which we'll indeed get into, we can't avoid, nor should we avoid, the ongoing invasion of Ukraine by Russia. It has ramifications around the world and F1 is no different. First of all, starting off with the Russian Grand Prix, it was meant to take place in September of this year between the 23rd uh, to the 25th in Sochi. But after pressure from various races, including Seb Vettel, Max Verstappen and Fernando Alonso, saying it shouldn't go ahead, the FIA have agreed, saying it's impossible to hold the Grand Prix in Russia in the current circumstances. What are our thoughts on that so far then? It's going to be quite a difficult topic and um, I apologise if you're tuning into this podcast uh, for the first time, uh, as Tom says, on River Radio, which is very exciting for us, or Mm. indeed maybe you're a long-time listener catching up on um, one of our many uh, platforms and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to take a break from all the the political drama that's been going around the world. And um, here we are going straight back into it, but unfortunately we, we cannot avoid this topic because, as Tom says, there's such ramifications for our sport. Not only the F1 races, but also the drivers involved um, and indeed sponsorships uh, because F1 has close links to oil, for example, and Mm. we do rely on Russia um, for that particular resource. My thoughts are they made the right choice. I think they reacted quite quickly for for Formula One. I'm used to the FIA and, and the Formula One management being relatively slow off the mark. They tend to deliberate these things quite closely, but it seems that because of the international outrage at the the political landscape that's emerging um, that they had no choice and with teams and drivers saying that they weren't going to go and and race in Sochi our usual uh, location for the Russian Grand Prix I think to some extent their hands were forced quite quickly we know from past experience that Let's say F1 is willing to turn a blind eye to some of the moral implications um, of of racing in states such as Qatar, such as Saudi Arabia. Um, but 
they had no choice with this one. They just they had to had to cancel it. So it looks like they're weighing up new options of places to, to race instead. Um, I've seen maybe Turkey, maybe Portimao and Portugal um, could be back on the cards. I, I feel like Turkey, if, it, if we do return to Turkey, because we raced there last year and the year before, both times we weren't meant to. Turkey seems to be like that friend that nobody invites to the party <laughs> and yet just arrives anyway. <laughs> Hold on a minute. Who invited them? Um, so yes, Istanbul um, it could be on the cards again. And there was two fantastic races in a row. So I'd be I'd be very excited for that. Or Portimao in Portugal. Um, again, great track. Um, it'd be exciting to see how the F1 cars race around that, these new regulation F1 cars. So yeah, I think... My takeaway from this, Tom, if I'm honest, is we must reflect, I think, on perhaps the the good side um, of the cancellation of Sochi, which is we might get a better track out of it. Because I'm there's no great secret. I don't like the Russian track. I find it really boring uh, to watch. So we might get a better track out of it. But wherever you're listening to this podcast from, I think for all of us, we, we do hope that you're safe and you can take a break from the political um, turmoil around the world and, and have a moment to uh, listen to something slightly more lighthearted in, in our podcast. So, yeah, please keep safe. Yeah, I mean, it's it's I agree with you in terms of keeping safe. And obviously we wish we wish and hope the Ukrainian people can we can. I mean, I, I always think when you say get, give people solidarity, I mean, I don't know how I could do that, but just like if you think about them a bit, hopefully that can, and if they know that we, we support them all the way, then um, yeah, hopefully that can give them some strength to, to fight back against this callous invasion. Um, and at the end of the day, like for, it's, it's, it's weird how we, obviously we talk on this podcast about Formula One and, and the impact had by the invasion on Formula One. Formula One in reality, whilst being a global sport, is such a small like inconvenience in this in this subject realistically um obviously we are invested in it um in our ways as like as being as being fans of it but in reality it shouldn't really matter too much but i guess to touch on uh in terms of ukraine but i guess to touch on the point uh it's a good step by the fia definitely to remove the russian grand prix from the calendar um it's 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 definitely it's found its conscience somewhere and i don't mean that in a in a way of like it doesn't have a conscience but there are sometimes decisions to take races to places where you think like there's there's questions around them yeah um but removing russia from the calendar was definitely a positive step um because i mean that basically would form an endorsement of of putin and what he's doing uh putin has been seen Mm -hmm. at races before it's clear that the Having the events like the Sochi Olympics, the Winter Olympics, having the World Cup in 2018, having the Grand Prix the last few years has been a way for like a, a enforcement of soft power by Russia um, to gain a more favourable viewpoint uh, of from others of them um, to sort of obscure that what's it called sports washing to like obscure their actions. Um, so removing the Grand Prix from the calendar is definitely a positive step, and like you say, Tristan, simply because as well there are. There are replacements ready in the waiting. Turkey, I think, would be a good replacement. Other ones like Portimao, um, races like the kind of races that have replaced um, Grand Prix over the last few years. Those would be good replacements. Just as long as we please don't have two races in Austria again, that would be lovely. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm proud please, of that, but you please, know. please. Uh, um, no more. But, um, but yeah, I think, and it now raises the interesting point of. Um, not something I thought I'd be talking about for a few years yet, but the future of Nikita Mazepin, because with him, Indeed. 
being uh, obviously linked, um, linked being that he is Russian, um, and also the Haas team having uh, received great revenue and income from Ural Kali, the uh, Russian, is it oil and gas company? Fertilizer. Um, yeah, which fertilizer. fertilizer, that's the one. Yeah, so which is owned by Dmitry Mazpin, Nikita's father, and is a large part of the reason why Nikita Mazpin has, has been racing in Formula One for the last year. Um but it'll be interesting to see the effect that has now and whether that could affect his future at Haas and whether Haas may have to do a last minute uh bring in a new driver, perhaps. Yeah, well Mazepin is a what we would call a pay to driver, or as I'd like to call a pay to driver, i.e. They only have the seat because they're depositing a rather large amount of money into the teams. I mean, Formula One is a very expensive endeavour. And so it's not unusual in Formula One to have a driver that is there only because they managed to line the pockets of their uh, of their team. And that's OK. And that's, you know, that's part of it. We accept that. I mean, we moan about it, don't we? But um, unfortunately, not everyone is going to be there on merit. And certainly... Mazepin is only there because he's going to give all this money to the team Haas and and with that money now well locked away because of the, the sanctions um, the team principal Gunter Steiner said that they were going to be in negotiations this week to talk to Mazepin so definitely mm-hmm. his uh, his drive is on the line um, but I was I was wondering Tom actually you know if yeah. who have you got pegged to replace Mazepin if he does go well, the rumours saying it's the most logical solution, I guess, would be Fittipaldi. He, of course, took the seat of Roman Grosjean after his horrific injury way back when. I think that's the most likely scenario because he is the reserve driver, to the best of my knowledge. Of course, there is the scenario that someone like Giovinazzi, who's without a seat, or Hulkenberg comes back, although that's fairly unlikely because, well, Hulkenberg, for example, has ties elsewhere, shall we say. But I think Fittipaldi would be the right fit because he's in the camp if that makes sense he's slotting in uh shall we say to the seat where he would perhaps have a chance in the future if one of them were to fall out owing to covid or something or or the rest really so i think he would be the most logical one but i think he's one of those with Haas where they get a lot of flack last season and rightly so i think because of the design of the car and what it showed uh, in the eyes of many and because of the hiring of someone like mazapin but they did react very quickly to drop urakali from uh, the side of their car indeed from their paddock as well on the final day of testing in Barcelona so credit where it's due and as we say we're only acting on rumours now as into the future of Mazepin's drive and it is a tricky one in many ways because obviously Mazepin himself Nikita has no involvement with the Russian invasion or has ties to the Kremlin etc so he is separate but when you're seeing the ramifications and the the cost of this invasion on Ukraine you're seeing as well other sporting federations um, banning Russian athletes from their respective games you kind of feel that he's in a difficult position and you know going further with his father Dmitry meeting with Vladimir Putin on February the 24th to discuss said sanctions you can't say that there is a complete separation between Mazepin Jr and Mazepin Sr the decoupling becomes very hard particularly when you consider as you say Urakali being the title sponsor of not only Haas but also the main reason why he, he himself is in Formula 1 so it's not looking good for, for Mazepin himself of course he made those comments way back when that um, he was confident the Russian Grand Prix would go ahead that prediction's turned wrong but it's a very dicey situation I didn't think would be in at all in my lifetime where a driver 
could not even start the season of a Formula One uh, year owing to things off the track entirely. Yeah, well, no, it's, it's a really unusual situation. And to be honest, we, we are all reacting as we go, go along. I think who would replace Mazepin is, is going to be a really tricky... Uh, yeah, it's going to be really tricky for us because there are so many good drivers waiting in the wings. I mean, I would love the ultimate Haas redemption curve and uh, for them to, to put someone like Piastri into the um, into the seat. He is the Formula 2 champion. Um, mm, yeah. So I can think of no better person waiting in the wings. You know, he's proved himself. As you say, there's there's potentially someone like Fittipaldi or uh, Giovinazzi, who raced for Alfa Romeo last year, lost his seat. Please, no. <laughs> well, I know you don't oh, like him, him, but... I- Oh, I quite I like Giovinazzi. I've defended him because I think he's okay before. So I, I would Giovinazzi might uh, take uh, a little return back into our back into our um, sporting lives. Um, and of course, there's always Hulkenberg, um, Mr. Hulkenberg, who yeah. was well reserve driver last year, Formula One uh, driver only a couple of years ago, waiting in the wings as well. Maybe this is his time to shine. But definitely, Hass is a plethora of talent. Uh, just waiting to hop into a car and you know i suppose the question we might have to ask ourselves is is which one of those individuals waiting in the wings is going to bring in the most sponsorship um mm. and give them the the biggest opportunity so it's a bit of a shame that we are talking about the fact that mazepin might not be with us um going into the upcoming season for reasons outside of his control i mean um but Hey, you know this is this is the harsh reality of Formula One. It's expensive, and people get booted out. You know, at uh, at times that maybe you think is a bit unfair, and and well, maybe it's Mazepin's time. Just it's it's quite a reason to be to lose your seat in F one. I can't think of a similar situation in the past. Um, mm. And yeah, it's a tricky one because obviously it's 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 out of his control. I mean, he's not he's not come out and and supported the the invasion. Um, no, it came out against like that. it, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but I mean, the the just I I think they have to the FIA has to go reflecting the decisions made by the rest of the sporting community. I mean, there's a pretty seismic announcement today that FIFA and UEFA have banned Russia from international football, um, and they're in the process of banning Russian teams from European club competitions, um, yeah. and the possibility of banning because they were under pressure for bait previously they said you could like in the olympics how russians could complete under compete under the like was it the raf or the russian olympic committee like flag? what mazepin's doing now yeah, yeah exactly um but they they were criticized for that and they went one step further so i wouldn't be surprised if the fia withdrew its roc <laughs> i think it's called um flag or raf flag and um and made him um made him stay at the sport as well in terms of the seat i think I think it has to go to Oscar Piastri, but it won't. It just won't because I know because like, um, it, it the, the Piastri situation makes me think of when, I mean, the, from the history I've read, Alonso was in a similar situation. He aced the junior categories, he came into the sport, and then he was like Renault test driver for a year, and that basically prepared him for the step up. So I think they'd do a similar thing with Piastri. Um, I'd say Pietro Fittipaldi looks like. If you bear in mind, three weeks to go till the start of the season. They want a driver who can assimilate quickly, who can know who knows the team, who knows the surroundings, who's driven the who's driven for the team before, like you said, Tom, replacing mm-hmm. Grosjean a couple of years back. So I think he's the most likely personally. Even if it's not 
the most inspired choice. I think for 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 Hass's sake, it's probably best that if um, Fittipaldi goes in. I'm telling you now, it's going to be Giovinazzi. I ju- you just no. know it is going. It's going to be Giovinazzi. It cannot I, I be anyone that. else but Giovinazzi. I, I seriously doubt that. I, I've I heard think rumors. it'll be Fittipaldi. See, I've, I've heard, heard rumors, rumors as well for Fittipaldi. So you know, I'm hearing know. other rumors <laughs> that that the that Giovinazzi is firmly within Hass's uh, uh, radar. Um, and bear in mind that he has links to the Ferrari team, um, given that he raced for Alfa Romeo and sponsored by Ferrari. Given that Haas is has close ties to Ferrari as well, I don't know if if you were a team, right? Let's imagine yourselves and and listeners as well. You can you know imagine that you have just lost your you know sponsorship driver, you. And Giovinazzi, who also came with a whole load of cash as well, is sitting on the sidelines, eager to get a seat and has Formula One experience. Would you take him over Fittipaldi? Which, you know, let's face it, he didn't win the the Formula Two championship. Piastri did. And he hasn't had Formula One experience before. So... I'm, no, I'm seeing Giovinazzi as, as, you know, Italian Jesus, as he's nicknamed in the Formula One paddock. He's rising Somehow. back to the sport. <laughs> and, you know, on day no, three of the uh, testing. No. I don't think oh. so. I mean, they've, they've already got, if we think of it one way, I guess, obviously there's the Ferrari ties, for sure, with Hassan with Ferrari. But Mick Schumacher, lest we forget, is a Ferrari junior driver, and they've already got one there. And Giovinazzi, I believe, is the official reserved it's him and Schumacher are the official reserve drivers for Ferrari but Giovinazzi's like the the main one so I think Ferrari would want Giovinazzi as their um still as their reserve driver I just can't see it happening and I, and I can't yeah I just it, it just seems too logical that Fittipaldi would get the seat in in my eyes I suppose it, there is a scenario there that if Fittipaldi does get that seat, that does open up a reserve driver seat for Haas, which is not amazing. You don't go, oh, wow, I'm going to be the reserve driver for Haas with respect, <laughs> but it still is an opportunity for someone to get their foot in the door. So the question then is, who gets that foot in that door? Could it be someone like Piastri, for example, who we know is without a driver of any kind, or is it going to be another uh, Ferrari Academy driver who's going to go and fill that void? But um, as we say, you know, with crises like these, it presents an opportunity for teams, particularly Haas, because of such close links to that Russian company. But then, you know, discussing that slightly more there, Giovinazzi is currently a reserve driver for Ferrari. So... Fittipaldi stays as reserve driver for Haas. Giovinazzi gets the reserve drive for... Sorry, gets the drive for Haas. Piastri Mm. gets the reserve drive for Ferrari. Boom. He's got the reserve drive for one of the top teams in Formula One. Surely that sounds nice. That sounds fantastic to me. And uh, if I was in any way influential of the sport, that's (laughs) how I would be pushing it right now. But do you not think that this highlights the dangers of the pay-to-drive um, system that we've had. Because Haas, over the last couple of years, has had some, let's say, controversies when it comes to their title sponsors. For any listeners who is, you know, listening brand new to the sport, if you were to look at Haas a couple of years ago, you would see them in a, a black and gold livery because they were sponsored by the well-known energy drink, Rich Energy. No, we hadn't heard of them either. But yet, there they were for the unveiling of their livery. 
which was sponsored by Rich Energy, standing next to a man that no one had seen before with a big beard, uh, who was supposedly Rich <laughs> Energy's CEO. Anyway, long story short, they ended up getting into a massive argument with their title sponsor, Rich Energy, because Haas were very, very slow that year, culminating with an image of a Haas uh, livery milk float on Rich Energy's Twitter. Anyway, got into a big argument, and... <clears throat> they's parted ways and yet again it seems that Haas has kind of <laughs> picked a, uh, a slightly controversial sponsor and something has gone wrong for them yet again and this is I suppose one step further because unlike the rich energy thing Mazepin is going to be directly impacted by this because he is basically you know got a drive and now Haas is losing a driver on top of their title sponsor so do you think perhaps it's it's time for Formula One to assess what we can do about the um, pay to drives? Perhaps we can limit the amount that a driver can donate to the team. You know, that's just one option. What do you think? Well, I can actually go further with one example regarding to Haas as well. Esteban Gutierrez, remember him? He has a net worth of between one to five million US dollars, which shows again why he was there. He was there purely, or not purely, but somewhat largely, I'd argue, for the revenue that he brought in over pure talent, shall we say. But in terms of the whole pay-to-drive uh, system that we got, I think you, cr- you probably could put some regulations in place to try and stop that. But I, I don't see a scenario in which that could be completely bulletproof because, as Lewis Hamilton famously said before the Australian Grand Prix was cancelled, cash is king and when you're a team like uh, Haas, Alfa Romeo and Williams with smaller budgets yes of course there is the budget cap but you still have the bigger teams of Ferrari, Mercedes and Red Bull who can pay their staff more there's always a scenario in my mind where money can win win out and where if you're in a dire situation like mm. Haas is now particularly with the potential suspension of your Kelly and you know Gunter Steiner says oh the finances are fine we'll be fine we'll be fine <laughs> but fine for how long you know maybe <laughs> they can you go say and... five times must be true <laughs> exactly <laughs> I mean yes they could probably fill the car for the rest of the season but without your main sponsor and there being such a huge void in a team which is already low on cash I don't think that's any secret in the industry there it begs the question how long so it almost feeds the cycle then of well Mazepin and his father have gone and their company we need to get someone else in with money and then the cycle continues until you get to a sort of I suppose level playing field where you're not just in that sort of survival cycle and I don't know unless you are a huge manufacturing team or have a huge budget like Red Bull for example you can never really break that cycle but we live in hope I guess yeah and while a new season begins there cannot be unfortunately a clean break from the 2021 season look no further than the FIA who have changed their race director for the season Michael Massey who became a household name and was shrouded in controversy for his role in the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix which resulted in Max Verstappen winning his first world championship has been replaced there will now be two people which hold the role and they will also be assisted by Herbie Blash as well as there being a virtual race control room to assist the race director. What are our thoughts on the changes there from the FIA in terms of Michael Massey losing his job, but also two people now holding the main umpire position of the sport? I think it's the right move. Um, Whilst 
obviously, with hindsight, and now that it's all calmed down a bit after that Abu Dhabi finale, when we were all, I remember we were all very, very heightened and heated after in the immediate aftermath. But um, yeah. but I think now that we now that we reflect on it with hindsight, having that much power invested or that much pressure actually invested in the hands or the mind of Michael Massey was a poor step. I mean, if we're talking race direction, um, it wasn't the right move. And I like this move to a to an alternate or a, a joint race director. Um, I also like the move of bringing in Herbie Blash. Um, for those of you who don't know, Herbie Blash has been, I believe, on the FIA race director team for a good 20 to 25 years. Very experienced man. It was the kind of the deputy to Charlie Whiting, um, who was the race director until 2019 when he sadly passed away. Um, so Herbie Blash has got tons of experience um, and he's definitely the def- it's definitely a very good step that he is involved in that role um, and yeah I, yeah I think generally it's just a positive it should I think allow for more streamlined decision making um, it should allow for, it should allow for more I'd say cooler heads less pressure if it's not one person making those like um, key decisions or possibly influential influential de- decisions um and also i think one thing which again we can go on to discuss is the appealing to the referee um that mm. messrs horner and wolf love to do um oh and messrs like wheatley and meadows and all the mercedes and red bull uh chief engineers and and figures um that's now been outlawed which is a which is a brilliant step i think i mean it it will no longer give us uh, moments such as no, no, Michael, this is so not right. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, so, as was famously um, said by Toto Wolf on lap 58 of Abu Dhabi, as Max Verstappen pulled alongside Hamilton. Um, but at the same time, I think just the whole appealing to the ref thing, all the appealing to the stewards never sat right with a lot of people. And getting rid of that, again, takes away the element of pressure on the race on the race directors who are already under a massive amount of pressure because um, their decisions can really change and alter a race um, for better or for worse in the views of of people. So I think that's also a very positive step. I would, li- I, I, I just enjoy listening to your Angus do your impression of uh, the the big <laughs> Austrian man Toto Wolf. Um, <laughs> find out what other voices you can do as the season season goes on. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting that we refer we someone like Herbie Blash is back because as you alluded to uh, just moments ago what Herbie was kind of the right hand man of of Charlie Whiting the old race director um when they were working with other individuals such as Bernie Eccleston back when Bernie Eccleston um was in charge of of Formula 1 and Herbie and Charlie had this reputation within the paddock that they weren't to be messed with if if one of the teams complained to Herbie or, or Charlie and the answer was like no then that's it the answer is no no amount of of appeals no amount of whining um is going to change that and it was I think it was definitely the change to having Michael Massey who was certainly softer and I would argue maybe more amenable um to having a conversation about the rules that led to what is basically exploitation from the big teams and you're right angus the the team principals toto wolf christian horner you know red bull and mercedes they they definitely pushed and pushed 
um, the FIA and in particular Michael Massey um, into a scenario where in Abu Dhabi we had one man making a rash decision in order to try and appeal to what the teams actually wanted and you know with with full reflection now I have zero sympathy actually for uh, the ending of last year for for Mercedes in the same way that I would have had no sympathy if it went the other way for against Red Bull because actually reality is they had spent the whole year whining and there's yep. no other word for it whining about mm. the safety car about how you can't end on a safety car we don't want to end on the safety car so what did michael massey do he didn't end on a safety car and suddenly you know everything went up in in the air and people started, got very angry and toto wolf got so angry you know we, you can't do that well do you know what he did because you forced him to so you know i, I think toto wolf certainly made his own bed with that one and uh one of the announcements this year is that they are going to no longer have direct communication between the teams and the race director, which is brilliant because I don't want to hear that sort of, you know, appealing to the referee, that sort of uh, conversation where you might persuade or dissuade the race director who is supposed to be there for safety. You know, it's the FIA race director's, job to make sure primarily that this the the race is being conducted in a safe manner and that means doing things like deploying the safety car when there's an accident so that all the cars go down to a a good safe speed to collect them up so that the uh, trackside assistants can get onto the onto the track and and you know do whatever they need to do in in safety or deploy virtual safety cars or or whatever it is you know these these sort of rules and regulations should be above the you know the 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 teams they should not have um influence over those decisions and the fact that the teams did last year was was really bad and so you know ross braun who has also come up into the fia and uh is rewriting the rules and has, has made changes going into this year has already said that we're not like we're no longer going to be able to listen to the radio between teams and um the fia those are going to be hidden but they're going to be massively restricted anyway which is excellent um so <laughs> you know we're not going to hear those fun conversations anymore but i suppose they won't be had anymore which is which is also excellent so i hope you enjoyed those uh those listeners so they're not happening anymore um and as you say, two uh, FIA race directors um, swapping is good as well. It means the pressure's not on one individual, which is excellent because, you know, we, we, there should be a rotation and the, the pressure shouldn't be just on one individual. It, it's, it's, it's good for the sport that we're having this conversation. I, I'm just a bit sad that it's come at the expense of, of someone's job. And Michael Massey, by the way, hasn't been fully fired from the FIA. He's being redeployed within... Um, the sport because he's got an excellent knowledge of uh, the rules and regulations and how to direct a race you know whatever you might think about him his his performance at the end of last year you know he he does have that knowledge and he has that close ties to the FIA so he's not being ejected out of uh, Formula One management he's only being redeployed <laughs> it's, it's funny because redeployed is usually one of those terms like hey yes they've been redeployed um, but no they <laughs> he legitimately will be around next year he hasn't actually been low-key fired 
Yeah, and the only thing I'd add on this particular topic would be that I think it showed this season that the FIA and the whole system was a bit out of practice for a big fight. Because when you think back to it, this is the first time we saw a real down-to-the-wire one-race shootout championship battle since the early 2010s. And, of course, the system had been fine previously. You know, one person made the decisions fine. But this season, just gone, 2021, if you caught it or not, was really controversial and, you know, littered with so many different flashpoints between Red Bull and Mercedes. So it would be difficult for anyone to get all of the decisions right. Hence, the decision to share the role, I believe, between the race directors is excellent. And I think, in addition to that, it's remarkable now that we're only getting a virtual race control room as it's being called to assist the race director it's now more of a team effort to get the right decision and when you consider that you've got tmo in rugby var in football drs in cricket hawkeye in in (laughs) tennis why on earth has it taken so long for there to be a similar system introduced to formula one i suppose disaster breeds um innovation and breeds betterment for the sport so it's good in that regard but um yeah i just don't feel that the system was fit for purpose moving forwards and that's as we've seen was shown in the uh, the last uh, season gone by and the hangover still remains from some of lewis hamilton's comments as well moving into this season he said that formula one should ensure that all race officials were non-biased um I don't think the language is too helpful there, but once again, it shows that there should be more of a collective decision-making when it comes to deciding the big uh, decisions and the, uh, the the big flashpoints when it comes to the sport. So I feel that um, if I had a chance to really uh, better themselves and to better the sports and there was a failure and there was a risk, they wouldn't do that. But they've sat down very calmly in the off-season, redeployed in a restructured and reformed way, and it's for everyone's betterment, I think, on paper, but obviously we'll see how it actually works out in the race. Let's talk about those Lewis Hamilton comments, shall we? Because this was a hot topic before this podcast when we were having a chat about it as they as they came out, because on uh, a few days ago, Lewis Hamilton said that he was calling for non-biased stewards in Formula One. And... I kind of agree with him, actually, because Formula One for far too long has been too chummy. And what I mean by that is people in power are mates with the people they're supposed to be in power over. And if you apply that to almost any other scenario, red flags would be, you know, waved and and alarm bells would be ringing. And it seems like there is a, a, a I don't know a, a blind eye that we turn to it in, in in Formula One because we we think that people will act honourably but actually I think the season has shown that people don't act honourably and that's the problem there's this coercion afoot and I would like to pose the question to you really you know if you apply it to a normal scenario. Because the FIA stewards, listeners, are supposed to be the the rule implementers. They are the referees in Formula One. If one driver hits another driver, the FIA stewards will look at that and go, was driver A or driver B at fault? Was it a, a mistake? Was it out of their control completely? And then they will impart a judgment on it. And what Lewis Hamilton is hinting at is... The stewards 
know the drivers they know the team sometimes they're even ex-drivers themselves and which means they will have direct contact they will be friends with the the teams themselves you might have an ex-ferrari driver or mercedes driver in the fia uh, stewards room and then they're supposed to make a judgment over ferrari or mercedes and you know on top of that you have a situation where the teams and the drivers and fia you know management are sitting down and being friends with the the drivers and that to me sounds like a conflict of interest you know in my job i am not allowed to pass judgment i am not allowed to work with anyone that i know if i know the individual in my day to day i'm not allowed to to you know interact with them tom in you know your job if you would you be allowed to you know would you believe that a uh, a, a solid and uh, interview would be held if you interviewed you know your mate you know these this sort of, sort of thing would be popping up and you'd be like well hold on a minute no that that doesn't sound right but for some reason in formula one we are quite happily accepting that there is no level of influence no soft power no conflict of interest when stewards are mates with the people they're implementing the rules against and so i think hamilton is onto something when he says both that we should have independence between the stewards and also we need more women it's in the stewards room as well it's mostly men and so you know there are these fantastic drivers out there you know we have the fia w series why can't some of them be you know the fia stewards you know we don't need to have the old guard anymore we can move on from that so i i you know i was supporting of of hamilton but as i say this is a hot conflict a hot topic of debate so i'm interested to hear your thoughts on it yeah it's um it's an interesting point about stewards and decision making in sports um because it actually i never really thought about it too much till a couple of months ago when the captain of my football team chelsea um had a had a post match interview after a game and he was uh getting irate shall we say at the um the inconsistency of referees in football now it's a point which I've kind of dined out on for a, for a while, and I kind of agree with him. But then I I said I stood back and I thought, well, hang on. If it was consistent, then surely we wouldn't need referees. We just use robots, and it can't be consistent, right? When there are human beings, and we all have different opinions, we've all had different upbringings and different um, events which have led to the decisions we make and how we view things and how we view the world. So. In that case, I don't think it's something we should necessarily look to tackle, necessarily. Um, like it's a tricky one, of course, because in the world we live in, where social media bays for blood, any, any, um, any indiscretion that appears out of anywhere, um, see F1 Twitter as an example. <laughs> yeah. um, the thing <laughs> is, it's every time a decision is made which someone disagrees with, it then seems to be exacerbated because if that one person disagrees, then people jump on that bandwagon and and also disagree with it or they genuinely might have a grievance or then people who don't necessarily agree with it but could be persuaded are persuaded simply because if someone says it or shouts it loud enough from a high enough rooftop rooftop then it could pass as as a good opinion so it's almost like i think we've got you've got a situation where whoever is a steward there would be people out there who would find a way to 
criticize them bring them down yeah. um i just think and it's something which i said asked you which is very difficult to shift i think um and it only takes what the only way of shifting it is taking getting every every f1 fan on twitter sit down in the same room and say right let's be sensible here <laughs> let's not get into people let's think about before let's think before we speak um but i think i don't know it's it's, it's not a problem that can be solved i think in terms of stewarding, I'm not opposed to former drivers being stewards. I think my opposition mm. would come if it was clear that there was someone who was making just very rash decisions or incompetent decisions. And I don't know whether there needs to be a system coming in where, like former former stewards, um, sorry, former drivers being stewards for me is the best way because they know what it's like yep. to be a racing driver. They've been in, they'll have been in wheel to wheel scenarios that they then have to pass judgment on. Um, they may not themselves be the best like leader or judger if that makes sense but i still think they're the best place people to make those decisions i think it's just whether there should be a a system i know in football in the premier league they have like they have the a referee review committee and basically like like assigns referees to certain games and the best referees get the the games to win the best teams um whether there was a, whether and then um referees who are shown to be below par performance if however you define that are then like demoted to second division third division games etc i don't know if there's, if there's, if there's a separate thing that could be implemented an independent panel for stewards basically to say right you've made some good decisions you can steward more races or we're not sure about your conduct we're not sure about your decision making you can sit out for a bit I don't know whether that would be a system that could be brought into place, but I, I think in essence it's an unsolvable problem because you always get someone's always going to be unhappy or moaning about it. As I said, exacerbated by social media and everything that comes with that. But I uh, maybe an independent panel reviewing Stewart's decisions and like something like an independent panel which has clearly reviewed Abu Dhabi. Maybe something like that is a, be- a beneficial step going forward. Hmm. I think you're right there, Angus. I think it's impossible for there to be quote-unquote non-biased stewards. And I think the language, as I say, there is unhelpful and somewhat inflammatory because it almost insinuates then that there's a Ferrari faction or a Mercedes faction or a McLaren faction, which I don't believe there is. And I think the whole issue of non-biased stewards will be resolved, I have confidence, with the new system because it's more of a collective decision-making where there is assistance where... There's no excuses to make real howlers, as perhaps there was last season, as we alluded to. I think having a more diverse team is, of course, a good thing. You get more uh, input there of different differing varieties because people have different backgrounds, etc. And I agree insofar that drivers should have a role uh, being in the FIA, because then if you don't have someone without a racecraft experience, how are they going to be able to put themselves in their shoes and go, well, I can understand why X driver turned in sharply there or gave too much room here or this, that and the other. So I think the human element and the communication element is key because while, of course, I think it's good that there's they're limiting it in race between team principal of X team uh, and the FAA is good because they're in the heat of battle and there's a chance that the decision can get manipulated. There needs to be some communication. So let's say Christian Horner can go to uh, the new FIA uh, race director of the day and say, 
why did you make that decision? Once the race is done, you can go, well, I made the decision regarding Sergio Perez at turn three versus London Norris because X, Y, Z. Doesn't mean that Horner's going to necessarily walk away and go, well, I, I, he's completely solved that. I'm completely stumped, you know. I have no questions at all. But by having that interaction and that communication, you can go, well, I can see why he's done that, to be fair. We'll go back to the drawing board instead of it just being the FIA has decreed X. <laughs> you, you you must agree with it or else type thing and they're just being a faceless almost three-letter word that just decrees things and there's no conversation there's no communication there's not even a human face to go with it i think that's a dangerous step there but of course you know if she was a traveling with racing drivers that's not on if they go out for meals with various drivers and you know have a two chummy relationship that needs to be regulated but I would take this comment more seriously with respect to Hamilton if he hadn't have just lost the World Championship owing to a decision by a now-departed FIA race director. Would you say that last year we had a, a prestige of excellent s- stewarding and decision-making? Because I seem to remember going through the year us moaning a lot about the decisions, about the poor decision-making, about the almost random implementation of the rules uh, it, bo- it went both ways we had scenarios where Verstappen was crashing into Hamilton and get and didn't get a penalty Brazil or we had situations like in Italy when we had people ever so slightly touching each other uh, wheel-to-wheel racing um, and getting penalties left right and center it wasn't perfect no so there was an inconsistency mm. last last mm. year you know, and, and this is my issue. I think the problem is we're all willing to moan. Angus, you're right. We are all willing to get on Twitter and go, oh, they're done. Stewards are once again showing bias to both Hamilton and Verstappen at the same time. You know, <laughs> you know that sort of thing. But no one is willing to put up a, a, a reasonable response to change. And that's the problem, right? Because, yeah, it's irritating when everyone gets onto Twitter and moans. But... It's not so daft to then say, okay, well, here's a here's a response and here's a change. And so I put one together. I put a change together because our hand on heart, I thought last year was a pretty poor example of stewarding. And I don't think you guys were happy with it either. You know, correct me if I'm wrong. No, no, no. So no, no, you're right. I don't think it's all right the way it is. And I think that's, you know, I'm not going to go as far as Hamilton. I don't think there is intentional bias. And maybe Hamilton's not even saying there is intentional bias. But I do think there was perhaps some unintentional bias. And so there are some things I would do which aren't that daft, really. We we implement these all the time. First thing is blind stewarding. So what, what I would suggest the teams do is at the beginning of the year, the FIA says, these are the list of the 20 stewards that we're going to have throughout the year. And every team signs off on them, okay? Everyone is happy with those 20 stewards. At each race, there will be three of those stewards, or five or six, or whatever there is, there, making the decisions. And because the FIA got those stewards signed off, it's not for the teams to decide the, you know, which order um, they're selected. That's never been the team's decision, so everyone's happy with that. The second thing I do Mm. is just put in one level of separation. The teams do not directly converse with the stewards. They don't go for dinner with them. They don't travel together. And that's it. The teams don't know who's stewarding. The FIA don't tell the teams who's stewarding. 
The teams don't get to interact with the stewards. It's just through one level of separation, I think, that what we can do is whenever anyone kicks up on Twitter and says how, you know, you're biased, you are making these sort of decisions, you've been coerced. Well, what we can say then is is no, because we put in these levels of separation. And I think we can never remove bias completely. But what we can do is we can try and mitigate the accusation of intentional bias, of any sort of coercion, of manipulation. And if you do that, then what you end up with is a is as ethical sport as you can possibly have. You know, we've all seen on the on the football pitch when te- when uh, teams and players go up to the referee and start yelling in their faces right and that's because Mm. you don't have that level of separation there and you know that's something that um football referees have to deal with they have to know that they're going to be hated by you know the one of the sides sometimes but in formula one we don't we don't need to have that and this is what annoys me we don't need to have it because we have this level of separation because the teams are in their own little areas the drivers are in their little you know their their cars and so that's all i'd ask that's what i'd say you know in response to you angus you know saying that everyone's going to get on twitter and getting angry well that's okay they can do that but i think that we have to do more to tackle the implication that there can be coercion and ross braun obviously agrees with this otherwise he wouldn't have just banned direct communication between the teams and the fia directors so why don't we implement that across the sport and say okay no conversation you know between the rule makers and implementers and the people playing the game and that's it that's and then what you do instead tom in to answer your question about the faceless fia is you have a ref, you have a an intermediate individual, uh, a chair, if you'd like, you know, who who the teams talk to, the middle yeah, man. the middleman, and then goes to them, and and that's the kind of normal steps, and these are steps that you might recognise from our judiciary, or um, most other processes. It's even in banking, you know, the, these are normal steps, and it, it, I find it weird that in sport we don't hold ourselves necessarily to the same account as we would in day to day. In life, you know, at university we had blind marking, for example, and you know I wasn't mm. allowed to turn in my uh, my uh, work even in handwriting because the the lecturers might know that I was the one who wrote it. So this isn't something unusual. I just think that we could do more, and that's what I think Hamilton is trying to get to. And if Hamilton is not saying that, then I'm you know misinterpreting his words. But I think we can do more in the sport, and especially try to unify the 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 stewards as well and bring in more diversity because i think there are there is not enough diversity in the rule making and the rule implementing and the stewards you know and if that's the only thing people get away from you know what hamilton's comments were then i think that's you know at least a first step i think those are very fair points i think as i say there should be some separation in terms of travel and dinners and the like my concern is though i think that the fia and the people who make the decision uh, be it the team now more than let's say the director needs to be held accountable yeah. and that ultimately they need to be able to go and explain their decisions to said principles if need be i think there needs to be some transparency as well in terms of how a decision was made the thinking behind that because i think as you read by various different biographies of uh, referees in various different sports as long as there's transparency and you can explain the decision in simple terms easily to somebody as i alluded to earlier 
that anger and that hatred is then de-escalated because they understand where you're coming from. And I don't think there should be a blind stewards as such because then that just feels theories of, oh, okay, well, it went Ferrari's way because, of course, the Ferrari faction were in control of the race director's seats this time. But if you know who's in charge and it's randomised, the randomisation, I think, is good, um, and there's a balance between, let's say, ex-racing drivers between, let's say, McLaren and Ferrari, that's good. But you want to go and stamp out the, the conspiracy theories, if you will, make sure the accountability remains and make sure transparency remains. So I, I understand exactly where you're coming from. There's some good elements, but those three principles, I think, would be the ones that I would uh, make sure they're not lost in the storm, shall we say, that is Formula One. God, they should have... They, you know what, Tom, they should imply us three to uh, tackle this. I think we are the new stewards. Uh, I think I, so. Absolutely. I, I would say my, my solution is what I think sometimes is when people on social media have a go at people i want to see them put in those jobs when everyone has a go at boris johnson <laughs> i'd like to see them run the country when l8 when ha- at, at lh44 hashtag the goat goat has a go at the stewards for the results of abu dhabi i think he i think he or she should be the chief steward at bahrain in three weeks time or um we should have, have at lh44 on twitter and Supermax thirty three WC as well, <laughs> the other the other the other Twitter persona. Let's have them as the the leading stewards, um, get them in the job. No, but seriously, I think you make you make some fair points in terms of there has to be some sort of separation. And thinking about it, there it is un, it is unusually unseparated, I guess you could say, in sport mm. compared to other other industries. Um, there is like a certain there's like a barrier in other industries that exists. Um, and that I guess that makes the practice more, like more clean. I guess is the right term. Yeah. Um, not not that, not that F one stewarding mm. is unclean, but it just sometimes leaves. I mean, last year definitely. I, my main problem with last year, I think, was that the stewarding felt like it was on a whim a lot of the time. That's exactly, my main yeah. thing. Not to do with bias or anything. The one that sticks in my mind <laughs> yeah, is Michael yeah. Massey on the radio to Red Bull saying, "Right, do you want to start P one or P two? Do you want to start behind Ocon?" <sighs> Or in Saudi Arabia, and, it, and I was listening on the radio. And I was thinking, "What is he seriously? Yeah, he's the race. Is he the race director? Make a decision, yeah. mate." Like, um, so that was my so main grievance. Stop of the, last whimsic- year. the whimsicality, because you know, I'd say have, that's, have that's, someone who's qualified for the job. Well, but same, Michael, Massey, Michael Massey was, but I mean, surely that's the human element that you were talking about, and this is the weird thing, right? You need a human to to be able to empathise, but. It's when you, it's it's the fact that you have this non-regimented structure that that led to the bargaining, right? How, so how do you solve that? I still think well, in in the situation with Massey, I still go back to my earlier point of I think there was just too much pressure on him, and I guess the pressure led to him making weird decisions like that. Uh, it's ridiculous the more you think about it, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I, and again, I don't, I don't, I can't can't say that I have the solution, but some sort of process or independent panel to look at the stewards, assign who they are. And you, your idea as well, Tristan, about not telling the teams about... To be honest, I don't know how much the teams are told, like, right, this week the steward is... They know who they Shonale. are. Do they? Every yeah, every race, week. Yeah. Every week they know, we know who it is. It says the stewards this week is these following individuals. Yeah, I don't know whether it's mm. a... They should do a grand reveal on the grid on Sunday Sunday afternoon. And but, but even then, though, that is... would be better, right? Because... You know, if you if you go if you only announce it literally as it as the as the race starts, then you've got no time to be you know chums with them. But getting yeah. in the ear, yeah, I yeah. guess so. 
it's, it's a really yeah. tricky conversation and, and you know this is, is why i think we're highlighting it because i don't think anyone can look at last year and and the mess that was at the end and think right well we'll continue with that shall we that's brilliant that was <laughs> and so i think it's it's important to provoke the conversation and say well how do we do we solve this and i think certainly one of those steps is to to try something new and see if it improves because the worst that happens is we get to you know the end of next year or this year and we say right well nothing improved there so we'll we'll try something different again right i think it's a good way to round off the topic really f1 and the fia know they have to do better after last season there's been such a magnifying glass on them the race director no one knew who michael massey was pre Abu Dhabi, i don't think unless they were glued to formula one like we were so they really are under the magnifying glass and the microscope shall we say and it's up to them to make sure their changes suit and it looks like that's pretty much all the time we have for this episode of f1 in review and you may be thinking to yourselves Guys, you've not spoken about the designs, the liveries, mm. about the new team principal of Alpine to name, but a few topics coming up in the next episode. So much happened, you know, in, in between us, you know, our last episode uh, last year and then uh, the, the the new series. We just can't fit it all in, really, can we, in, in, in just one hour? Plenty to look forward to. Though. Absolutely. I mean, we've not even touched on testing, shall we say, in terms of Barcelona. We've had Leclerc, Norris, Russell and Lewis Hamilton going fastest there. Although, for those who don't know about Formula 1, not a clear reflection of what's to come, but maybe a hint of what could be in store. So yes, the next episode we'll look at the designs. There'll be standardised parts, of course, for each car as the 2022 regulations decree. But many different teams and cars are taking different approaches to how their cars will look and how it will set up. The livery as well the good ones the bad ones and the ones which which are just downright weird and also looking at um, the team principal of Alpine Otmar Safnar and you may have heard of that name before because of course he was Aston Martin team principal but left rather hurriedly shall we say from one midfield team to another maybe the wind is blowing in the right direction for Alpine and maybe not for Aston Martin but testing may suggest otherwise and so ends another episode of F1 in Review, the first for the 2022 season. Thank you very much, dear listener, for tuning in, whether you're on Spotify, Apple, or any other podcast provider, or listening for the very first time on River Radio. Thank you so much for giving us an hour of your time to spiel on about uh, Formula One, the good things, the bad things, and the things that are to come. Things like George Russell, of course, he'll be in the Mercedes next season. Valtteri Bottas will be in the Alfa Romeo saying there's work to be done there's lots to take care of next episode and we've only just touched the surface of the big issues from this season and how they could have huge ramifications on things to move forward but we look forward to your attendance next time keep safe and we'll see you next week